Hello, and welcome to Unsheet with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheet number 61. I am the quick brown Kyle Gold. And I am Cam Hirosaki, the Thelma to his Louise, and I am fueled by vodka this evening. Awesome. We got a couple quick announcements that this is going to be our lightning round episode. We're going to try to clear out our backlog of questions. We have 21 to read between us, and our Kit and his assistant, Timer Weasel, are going to give us two minutes per question, so that includes the time it takes to read it. So a couple quick announcements. Uh, We are going to do a live show at Further Confusion. We'll have a special mystery guest there. I believe our time is Saturday at 10, although that's pending the programming schedule coming out for for sure, but that's what we've been told. Please come and see us at FC, and please come and pick up the newly released copy of Out of Position 2. Which is not the actual title. Which is not the actual title. The actual title will be released next week at Midwest Fur Fest, which will be last week by the time this is aired, probably, maybe. Kit can't um, be at a podcast or be at a con and edit a podcast at the same time. Right. It's it's physically impossible, much as we would love to be able to do that. Um, we're in talks with SoFolf about something pretty exciting for this book. We're talking about perhaps putting out a limited run of hardcovers. Uh, I've mentioned it on the live journal. Uh, SoFolf seems kind of serious about it. I'm trying to get them to let me hand number them, and we're going to see how that works out. I'll have more details through the month of December. It's hard to believe it's two months away. Yeah. That's sneaking up on us real quick. It really is. Uh, Cam, anything from the the wet side of the podcast? Let's see. Still working on Summerhill. I uh, have gotten my first 10K words out to my local writing group to look at. This is like draft two or draft three, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh-huh. I've also got a couple of short stories in the works that I'm also kind of surprising me. I've been asked to provide stories for some folks, so we'll see how those turn out. Very good. The one I'm writing now is kind of sexy. And uh, did we announce that we're both going to be featured in the next issue of Heat? We did last uh, episode, yes. But we can, just in case they missed it. Just to remind people. Not everybody listens to all the episodes. Next June, I think it is. Yeah, whatever Anthrocon is, that's when it comes out. Should be good. All right. We've got 42 minutes for 21 questions. We've got our timer weasel ready to go and our otter ready to read question number one. Yes, indeed. Go. All right. This one is from Pyro Stinger. He says, Dear Otterly Fox, Foxy Otter, and whatever guest you want to name, which I guess is Lovejoy. Uh, he lists seven different projects and then says, My first question to you two is, Do I have too much on my plate? No. <laughs> I would say yes. I can't do one thing at once, little than seven. I think you always have to have something to switch to. Something to switch to, but yeah, that that's called having two things, not seven. All right, next question. <laughs> second question is, I think, much less setup. See, the biggest issue I've had with writing the challenge story, or rather the second version of the challenge story, is the ending. Talk about endings for me. If the challenge story is out by now and you two have been able to read it, let me know how, if at all, the ending could have been improved. And he gives us muzzle riding regards, and apparently he's Ernest Emfing Hemingway, as in Ernest, as in like not the name but the adjective, as in the importance of being. Yes, exactly. I was gonna, I was gonna let you do that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Then he wonders why he needs new names, and he says he's gonna just stick with Pyro Stinger, which I always thought was fine. I think the ending has to recall the beginning. You got to yes. make sure that you know what story you're telling, and that the ending wraps it up completely. Yeah, I mean, you don't necessarily need to know exactly how it's going to end when you start, but keep the the beginning of the story in mind. 
And it's not just enough to end the main plot, you also have to end the character's story. Right. I mean, and as we mentioned in last year's Fall Furry Meat podcast, uh, Watership Down is a great example of this. Yep. If you look at the beginning and end of that book, magnificent. Yep. All right. Uh, I'm going to interject here that I apologize if we've cut out bits of any of your questions. We do it in the interest of time, getting to the point of the question and answering them as quickly as possible. Dear authors that start with K and guest, one of the few things I find challenging to describe are the features of age in furry characters. With humans, it's easy to think of visual signs that they are old, but with animals, I draw more of a blank and wonder how you would describe them. The only features I can think of are graying fur, but what if they're white, and just a general less lustrous pelt? So maybe you could toss out some descriptors or each write a paragraph or two describing a 40-plus character to demonstrate them being long in the tooth, or challenge your listeners from Rich On. Well, you have long in the tooth right there. <laughs> That's a good one. I'd also like to point out that 40-plus is not old. No, it's not. Um, gray fur, definitely. Um, like, you know, you, just think of, like, you know, somebody's eyes, like the way their brow sets, you know, you, you know, their ears can sort of be, like, bit, like bedraggled and whatnot. Yeah, I like, would think str- of like an old dog. You know what an old dog looks like compared to a young dog. They move more slowly, move yeah. more gingerly. The way they move tells a lot about how old yeah. they are. Um, like the creepy old shopkeeper in a horror movie. Exactly. Um, they talk about them pups. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kit. Yeah, the way they talk also calls out age. Yeah, they can sit in a rocking chair on the front lawn and shake a cane at you when you walk by. Or hold shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah like drippy those. jowls. Yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. Um, World-weary look in their eyes. Yep. Things they, they've they, seen. They growl and about sigh all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not quick enough to glance anymore. No. Glancing takes too much time. All right. Is that good? Okay. Go. Hey there, furry writing experts. My question for you is this. Which characters of your own do you feel you relate to the most, and were these characters created to relate to yourselves before taking shape by your own, like most characters tend to do? We tend to call these characters our children, so which uh, characters do you feel take more after their fathers? Thanks, Sai the Cheetah. Uh, you go first. Uh, mine's pretty easy. Uh, I think Vol is probably the one that was created to be most like me. Uh, you know, he's got, he ends up I'm spoiling the first book, but he ends up with a, a white wolf as his mate, and um, so there's him. I think there's a lot of me and Lee from Out of Position as well, um, but those are the two that I think I resemble the most closely. Okay, as I was saying on Twitter, I don't know why anyone would want to be a character from one of my stories, but uh, I certainly don't think I take after Summerhill. I mean, if I well, did, I would understand him a lot better. Plus, you could. We could be having this podcast on a much more exciting dimension. Yeah, or we could be having it like last year. Uh, <laughs> um, honestly, I don't think there are any characters that I've written that I think I really that really take after me. I I just sort of create them as the story needs. And really, not the one in the story you're writing now. <sighs> no, and I'm going to tell you about that later. I'll have to show you. There's a snippet I was going to send you, but you weren't online. Um, yeah. Um, no, nothing really nothing. nothing really comes to mind. I don't know why. I will say, too, that the characters, although initially when you conceive them, they're kind of like, the, the two that I talked about are kind of like me, but they did take on their own personality. Yeah. Um, Vol appears in Shadow of the Father, and I think he's a little more mature and world-weary than yeah. I am at that point. 
See, but see, you write longer works and like novels that reconnect, so you have longer time with characters. I write short stories, so none of them really have time to really develop into something that I would say personally reflects me very strongly. Were there any that were based on a specific experience you had? Not really. Well, sometimes, but not enough. Time. All right. Hello, my compadres of the written word. The name's Shane. People mangle the name all the time. Don't worry. From the sunny state of Florida. The first question is about your pen names. I plan on writing for the fandom under this name, but I have a question about pseudonyms. Does it ever cause issues in real life, like you've spent a weekend at a con and are used to hearing your furry pen name, and then you come home and somebody has to say your real name a couple times before it registers? Just wondering. Um... I have a pen name and a furry name, so I'm used to people calling me all sorts of different things, so it doesn't really particularly jar me any more than anything else. Yeah, same here, pretty much. Uh, Second is a more personal question directed at Kit, and if he answers, I think we'll get an amusing answer. Kit, I'm curious, what was your reaction when Kyle told you that he was going to write an erotic novel? Happy. Thanks for doing the podcast. It continuously inspires me to write. I've had short non-furry work published in a school anthology and the paper, so I like to think I'm doing something right. But after the episode with Foos in it, I'm really not sure. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Fondly years in writing, Shane Ravenwood. I think Foos would be very proud to hear that. Yes, I think he would. All right. Dear Sheathers, first off, I must thank you. Partly down... Uh to your help. I now have a wide array of talented and eager testers of varying experience that I can beta test my current works on before releasing them to the public. While there's nothing standardized about the process, I have been getting back a lot of good advice on where my pros need extra work. That's great. Awesome. This has brought up a unique challenge. All too commonly, the feedback I receive is contradictory. One person will read a plot twist and respond, there's no basis for this twist, it just happens out of the blue. While the next person says, I saw this coming almost from the start, it's too obvious and cliche. They can even back their opinion up using examples for my own prose to come to two wildly different confusions. Conclusions. How do, wow. Amazing. How do that I reconcile awesome. these differences? They're both useful, and I'm loath to disregard editing advice, especially when the opinions are rational and can be backed by evidence. So far, I've just been going with whichever, pro, whichever opinion most closely matches my own, but I'm not sure if that defeats the point of an editing process as the whole. Thanks, guys, for your, both your advice, future and past, Candrel. Um, it would not be a podcast without a letter from Candrel. Exactly. Um... What was the expression? Uh, when there's a dispute, tie goes to the writer? Tie goes to the writer. Yep, yep I was going to say that, too. There you go. Yeah, so if you're getting equal feedback and you're leading one way or the other, go with that. Because you're the one who knows the story. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and you know what? If, if it casts into doubt how you want it to t- turn out, then make it still go the way you want it to, but just work on the actual mechanics of it. And often in that case, I find that what happens is there are a couple cues that one person missed and the other person is a real attentive reader and picked up on them. And if you want to make it more clear, then you can put in maybe one more cue. Yeah, exactly. Then as a PS, he says, the idea of a standardized editing process caught my imagination while writing this. I think in the future I might send out a questionnaire with my drafts. Would you say, you came? Yes, no. Do you wish you were that fox? Yes, no. I believe this idea might have merit. Maybe if your star were still around. <laughs> <laughs> I think that maybe. might actually go over really well. There's a reason right. I turned the cum counter off on my stories. <laughs> I don't, just because it amuses me. Next. All right, this letter's a little bit of a challenge. I'm going to go for it. Maybe I just want to talk because I'm stuck in papers and paint that's supposed to be my homework. Just don't even mind to read it if you don't like it, and I must warn you my grammar is bad when I write in English. Hirosaki-san talked about something about homosexuality in Japan. I was wondering how much Hirosaki-san knows, because I've been searching, which wasn't even my main intention, things like that. First, because I'm gay, and second is that their furry community is kind of following along with it. 
What I found is a rumor that says 70% of people who are into furry are homosexual in a lot of locations and terms. You can say it is gay culture, really. I'd like to know if Hirosaki-san knows anything I don't. Those Japanese friends I have seem to know most of the common things I know, so it just becomes harder for me to gain new knowledge. Secondly, I couldn't recall exactly which podcast was the tips for not having a blank screen, but here's my response. My tip when I'm trying to write is to put out resources. By resources, I mean everything that can be related to the story I'm about to write. Well, if you know what you're going to write as to what topic and what characters. My main resources are my own stories. For people who are not a writer, who always write long stories, I can only suggest you do not sit in front of the computer with a blank document opened. Go do something else, anything. Either forget your story for a while or try other ways to focus on it. The ideas will come back when you have the time and space to think about it without pushing yourself to write. That will give you some motive to make you process the story. Okay. That's from Lou. Oh, Lou. Hi. Okay, homosexuality in Japan from my standpoint. All right, so basically you've got this. Uh, I think the 70% uh, guess there is probably an overestimate based on gay people within our fandom. Uh, two points of note. One is that Japan doesn't have the quote-unquote furry community like people in the West do. They don't really have a fandom to be a part of. It's just people who are into the art, and they're all very private about it, and then don't go out of their way to find other people. Uh, also, when it comes to... You know, gay people in Japan. Uh, that's a longer discussion than I think I can have right now. <laughs> and good tips for a blank screen. G'day, guys. I'm a longtime listener who is neither a furry nor a fiction writer. Then why are you listening to us? I was introduced by Notcast, oh, to Notcast by a friend, and then they mentioned Unsheath, and I took a listen, listen and got hooked. That's why. All right. <laughs> Why are you listening to Notcast if you're not a furry? My question today is grammatical in nature, so I understand if you'd rather email me back than read it on the podcast. Too late. I'm having serious trouble with the correct use of hyphens. The only thing that I can find on Google is that overuse is a heinous crime against good grammar, and yet I use more hyphens than almost any other punctuation mark. I'm reasonably competent using them correctly within words. It's inter-sentence hyphenation that gets to me. In that last sentence, for example, the hyphen feels out of place, and I'm sure there's a more correct piece of punctuation. In short, can you yes, can you please explain the rules of inter-sentence hyphen use and uh, to me because Google has failed me. Cheers, Benny. The hyphen abuses oxy listener. Well, the reason Google is failing is because the thing that you're calling an inter-sentence hyphen is called an m dash, like Kyle just said. Uh, look up e m d a s h. Look up m dash online, and it will tell you. An m dash is not the same as a colon. Colons and m dashes have different uses. While you're at it, look up how to properly use a colon and a semicolon. That would be helpful, too. <laughs> and also, M-dash is not the same as an N-dash, but I don't know many people who use an N-dash anymore. No, but. in fact, in, even only some style manuals use them. I use the M-dash a whole heck of a lot. Look at my stories if you want to see how to use an M-dash. Yeah, can't I, get I do, too, actually. And yeah. the, way you've, the way you've used your inner sentence hyphen in there is absolutely right for an M-dash. Yes, it is. Although you wrote it as a hyphen and not as right. an M-dash. Most... And if you don't have an M-dash character, most people use two hyphens together, Yeah, and that works. Like, MS Word and OpenOffice, if you just do hyphen hyphen, it will auto-change it to an M-dash for you. In most situations. In most situations. If, if there, well, it does a funny things with quotes, or if you have a space quotes, after yes. it or something, if it doesn't recognize yes, it. Yes, if you try to use closing quotes in OpenOffice, it will not create an M-dash. Okay. Hello again, esteemed Fox and Otter duo. Every morning, I listen to furry podcasts on my train ride into downtown Sydney in Australia, where I'm studying, and a topic comes up frequently about how to get non-furs to read furry stuff, and it reminded me of a very funny story that I'm surprised I haven't already told you guys. My mate from Australia and I attended Anthrocon 2010, and then returned home to Cincinnati the week after. 
We'd been popular patrons at the Fur Planet and so forth tables, and we'd come home loaded to the teeth with furry comics, anthologies, and our favorite, novels. Yay! Yay for people who like novels. We accomplished very little the next few days, as my mate and I kept trading back and forth and reading Heat, the X-Anthology, Waterways, and Out of Position. Now on to the good part. Sometime when I was out, my mother, my very Catholic mother, came into my room desperate for a new book. She herself is an avid reader and gets agitated if she's not constantly reading a novel. I'd given her New Coyote and Coyote River in the past, so I think she had in mind that those books were the sort of fiction I brought home from cons. I'm not really reclusive of my being furry, so she just walked up to my collection on my bookcase and took and read Waterways. She ended up reading it in about two sittings, and I think she'd finished it by like 3 a.m. the next morning. She usually goes to bed at 10 or 11, but will stay up if she can't put a book down. I didn't find out till the next day at dinner. She apparently loved it, though I didn't ask her what she thought of a select few scenes. While Waterways is pretty tame, I'm certain that's the most male-on-male she's ever read, and definitely the most furry thing she's ever read. I'll only say that your parents sometimes hide things from you for a reason. Yep. The only thing she said to us about it really was at dinner when she said, I'm very supportive of you being gay and your relationship, but if it's okay with you, I'm still going to pray. (laughs) I'm lucky I have cool parents. You are. Your parents are awesome. Thanks for doing the podcast and for keeping me company on the train in the morning. I look forward to listening. Loyal listener, TJ Falf, a.k.a. that Falf star guy on Twitter. Yeah, I know I've heard this story before. I don't know if you wrote into either Notcast or Unfurled about it, but I'm pretty sure I heard this. I know I heard it, but I'm... Never sure if I heard it, because I read the letters before we post oh, okay. them. Next. All right. Cooey, Unsheath Crew, continuing the Australian theme here. I've got two questions here that I'm curious to ask. Firstly, I was wondering how a writer goes about dedicating their work at the start of a published format, and how necessary are forwards and afterwards. Are these mandatory when work becomes published, or just parts the writer adds to leave a message for the reader? Uh, they are not mandatory. Um, they are not, although most books have a dedication in them. Yeah, a dedication is more common than either a forward or an afterward. But it is certainly not mandatory. No. Um, I put forwards in all my books just because I like to talk about the books. Yeah, I may put I'm a forward in Summerhill just to describe the process of coming up with the book because it is such an unusual piece of writing. And there is actually an afterward in Out of Position 2. That's right. Um... But yeah, I think that in order of frequency, you're going to see dedications, then forwards, then afterwards. Right. Secondly, and a bit on the topic of writing, have you guys ever put off reading something only to find out that you really should read it as soon as possible? So far, The Seventh Shocker by Kevin Frayne tops my list for about a month as I choose to read other pieces. Sorry about the grammar. Ray Farr, Australian reading, reading Fennec Fox. You should definitely read The Seventh Shocker. You should. It's I a, support this wholly. It's holy. a quite good book. Yeah. Um, I find, well, I, I was doing some straightening up today and found that my uh, nightstand pile of books to read is up to 12 now. Oh, God, yeah, mine's huge, too. Uh, I put off reading the entirety of Watership Down by about 20 years, and I'm glad I finally corrected that oversight. Yeah, I know yeah. there's a couple books that I really should get to. Um, I still need to read the new Kazuo Ishiguro. I still need to read the new David Mitchell. Yeah, I still I haven't have to read finish the new the David Star Mitchell Wars either. I'm, I'm reading a Cat Valenti book. Oh, I didn't get the new Cat Valenti one, too. That's kind of going my pile. Habitation of the Blessed, which is quite good so far. Cool. Really interesting writer. I definitely liked Palimpsest a lot, which we've mentioned on the podcast about 18 times now. Yep. Dear Potentially Pantsless Hosts, I believe I may or may not have been near your bunker a few weeks back and briefly played with the idea of asking either of you out for a spot of tea, but at the last moment wondered not if this request would be too British, but whether it would just be awkward. Then this brought a question about... What is your experience, without naming names, of course, with your rabid fan base? Have you ever hit moments of awkwardness with fans? 
And if I had dropped an email asking for a quick meeting over tea or other beverage, would this be seen as strange and or suspicious? Internet meetups are an absurd dynamic sometimes, and curiosity one drives me to wonder your thoughts upon it. Otherwise, stuff you don't need to say if you ever get to reading this, too late. I'm really amused by your podcast and managed to keep my writer's side interested through the course of every episode. With my raccoon nature, this is totally a compliment. I've read Out of Position, I'm halfway through Vol, and have sampled both of your FA pages under the filter for your short fictions. I've never read this genre before and doubt I shall dig for other sources in the future, but you two are such bloody good writers I can't deny your outputs of quality anthrofiction. Keep up the good work. That is all from this raccoon from the depths of Wyoming for now. Keep cool, Dringer. There are LGBT people in Wyoming. Apparently so. Um, you know, the most awkward moments that I've had with my fan base have been over emails. Yeah, me I've too. not had an awkward moment in person, really. I did have an awkward signing moment at Anthrocon 2009 that uh, Black Tegan luckily saved me from by uh, being my wingman and running interference. Black Tegan is awesome that way. She really, oh, he, she. <laughs> <laughs> whichever whichever one he's being at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, um, saying, hey, I'm in the area, would you want to meet up? I don't, that's not impolite, and I don't think it's, like, weird. I mean, the odds of us being able to accept it would depend on whatever else was going on and how well we knew who you were. Yeah, uh, and also, we we both tend to keep ourselves pretty busy. Yeah. Um, we have we have tough social schedules, and we both spend a lot of yeah. time writing, so. Random person out of the blue might be a little awkward, but, you know, hey, get to know us better. Yeah, give anyway. it a shot. And if you're at a con, say hi. Next. Definitely. Hello again, Unsheathers. It's little old Theorian again. I have both hey, a question and just something... Hmm? Oh, uh, I said, hey, Theorian. Something funny I'd like to tell you. First off, my question. I write frequently, uh, almost all the time. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> but the problem is that it's never simply one story at a time. Nor like one Kyle. Adverb. As I'm sure you have experience, you could be writing in one story, then have an idea for another, or you could be stuck on one and using another to kill your writer's block. Is there anything that particularly helps either of you focus on a single story? Well, if you're Kyle, the answer is apparently you don't. Uh, <laughs> Deadline. Deadlines are a good one. Deadlines Which is actually a future question. Definitely a good one. Um, no, I mean... I usually switch to other stories when another one of mine is just dragging or just isn't working right, Summerhill. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing. I use it to keep my... It, it's like you don't want to get into like repetitive motion disorder with your brain. Yeah. At some point, if you're working on multiple stories, at some point one of them will reach some kind of tipping point, to borrow a Malcolm Gladwell, and you're just going to be like, okay, I know what happens next, I know what happens next, and you're going to keep thinking about it until... And, you know, that's the one, then, that you've got to drive to finish. Okay, yeah, I agree. On another note, I think my cell phone is addicted to unsheathed. I don't have an MP3 player. All my songs and podcasts are on my phone. I thought you'd like to know that I could be sitting around just watching TV and my phone will just automatically start up one of the unsheathed episodes. I find this amusing because my phone will often say that some Lady Gaga song is playing, but the speakers are blaring an Otter and Fox. Your ever-present Black Panther Theorian. Well, I'm not anywhere near as fabulous as Lady Gaga, but I find your phone's association flattering. But you do dance, and I, I have a dance, poker face. So. But I don't just dance. I do other things, too. And you do. you do. And uh, we both have written some bad romances. That is true. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> I was deliberately waiting so that he'd have to say something. Go. Dear Fox of Many Voices, an otter of not so many. Hey, what does that mean? <laughs> While you have your squeaky voice and your normal voice. 
First and foremost, I shall throw in a fan letter snippet for you and let you know that I love the podcast. Thank you very much. I love tuning in and listening to the great advice you offer and the ways you can make me laugh. Also, what exactly did Kyle spill that was very foamy? Just curious. Uh, it was Diet Root Beer, I think, or Dr. Yeah, Pepper or something. It was something like what. that. I don't some, think you were drinking a Kyle that, that night. No. Now on to the proverbial meat of the issue. I'm currently in the process of revising a novel I wrote a few years back. I'm finding it a bit discouraging to look at what I have left to do and realize that I've made so little headway overall. I know the end result will be worth all the pain and struggle. I really do, but it is still a bit disheartening. So my question is this. How do you cope with the stress of revision? Also, kudos to Cam for slipping in the Futurama reference in number 55 from the frantic fennec Eli Lapso. Okay, lowercase, I feel your pain on this one of when trying to revise a novel is just being uh, a bit... You feel like you're not making any progress. Uh, Like I was saying to Theorian's email, try working on something else and just let your brain take a break from it. Uh, Just trying to grind away at something to the point of it being frustrating and not fun anymore. Uh, Yeah, if, if it stops being fun and rewarding, stop doing it, do something else, and then come back to it. And see, I I love revision because for me it's like I'm telling the same story over again, but I'm trying to figure out how to tell it better. And yeah. I like keep going through it and saying, okay, this works, this works. And when I find something that I can change that makes the story better, yeah. that's like awesome. That's like, wow, how did I not come up with this before? This is so much better. This is so much cooler. So I keep going through the story waiting for those moments. That's how I do it. Yeah, and that's a good way to pr- approach it. All right. Hello, Kyle, KM, Kit, and accidentally Lovejoy. Thank you all for this podcast. Accidentally makes- and Lovejoy? Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm writing that for Unsheathed Presents number seven. It makes me happy. <laughs> Every time I listen in, I'm struck by the feeling that I've come home to people that are one of my kind, like in excess. Mm-hmm. Not just because you teach and entertain, but also due to the fact that you guys expand the world I get to inhabit and help me grow cro- closer to who I want to be. I'm lucky to have you guys. Aww. Aww. Kyle and KM, you both mentioned in an earlier podcast that you have backgrounds in biology. As it happens, I study both neuroscience and economics, two topics that I think I like to think synergize to total the whole of why in behavior. My experience has shown me that unrelated topics find ways to harmonize in unexpectedly wonderful ways. This brings me to my question. How has your non-writing education, along with the day job that grew out of it, helped inform your writing? Never quit, Pelican. Well, I mean, just... Everything you experience out in the world informs exactly. your writing. Yeah, anything you do. There have been times when I've gone out of my way to do things just to have the... And I've said, like, you know what? I want to know what this is like in case I need yeah. to write it. Like, that's why the first time I ever shot a gun was, like, I want to know what shooting a gun is like because, you know, that's something that, you know, I think that as a writer, it's good to know what that feels like. I've still not done that, but when I wanted to know, I asked someone who had gone to a range and who I knew had shot frequently yeah. and just said... How did that work? You fired a bow and arrow. Uh, I have. Yeah. Actually. Um, Feral. And I did that while I was writing Shadow of the Father because I wanted to see what it was like. There you go. See? Um, but yeah, study study various things. If you're in college, uh, take electives in all kinds of different disciplines. Go out, do weird things every now and then. I mean, clearly biology backgrounds help us with furry anatomy and stuff. Yeah. But anything brings up questions that can be interesting parts yeah. of stories. And being a huge Star Wars nerd has helped me with give uh, storytelling advice. Yeah. There you Next. go. When choosing names for characters and stories, do you have a list of names you've been building up over the years that you draw from, or do you come up with each name individually, or both, from Trendane? 
Uh, I'm like 90% come up with them on the fly, but every so often I will come up with a name and write it down for future reference. That's a cool name. I want to use it. Uh, most recently, like with, uh, if you were listening to the live podcast or if you're following the FBA, my FBA character, Devin Kellendine, like I came across the surname Kellendine. I was like, I want to use that. And I wrote it down in one of my little writing notebooks. Like here's a cool name I should use at some point. Kellendine. Uh, I'm pretty much 100% make them up on the fly, although I do go visit baby name websites from time to time if I want to find something that has a little bit deeper meaning behind it. That's where Samaki yeah. came from, actually. Yeah. But okay. Hi, Kyle and KM. Now that Rainforest is over, I want to express my gratitude for your help across a personal milestone. I participated in the Rainforest Writing Challenge, and the Yay. story that came out of it was the first work of fiction that I've finished in over a dozen years. Congratulations. Congratulations. My writing muse was stabbed and garroted comatose by a screenwriting professor in college, and my numerous attempts at writing during uh, and since that class had failed to yield worlds. words. Oh, <laughs> or worlds. Wow, there we go. That's a nice speako. The two of you, along with uh, Phil Goyce and the awesome RF staff, really helped to provide encouragement and environment needed to finally extract a short story from my head and provide this cat with a glimmer of hope for more to follow. Well, good for you. I'm very happy about that. Yeah. Which brings me to my question of deadlines. Having a 48-hour deadline helped to cut through a lot of the self-criticizing static. But while there were glorious stretches of staying up late in the night with prose flying out of my brain as fast as my fingers could, can, could transcribe and faster than an otter can read, there were still considerable periods where I struggled endlessly to admit even a single line of dialogue. Do you find that deadlines, maybe even unreasonable-seeming deadlines, help in your writing process, or do they just steal away valuable editing time? Do you mainly rely on publishers to provide that framework, or are your most valuable, most useful deadlines self-imposed? All the best, Trey. Hey, Trey. Hi, Trey. Um, deadlines, as we mentioned before, are very useful, uh, I impose deadlines on myself a lot, but then I also have deadlines from my publisher once we've agreed to publish a book, like Out of Position 2 kind of had to go to the printer this week, so I needed to have edits done by a certain point so that we could have layout done by a certain point, etc., etc. Um, what deadlines do is they help people get caught in editing spirals. Mm -hmm. Stop. Because you can literally edit a book forever if you don't have a deadline. Yeah. And a deadline says, okay, you got to cut loose at this point and get it out the door. Yeah, and I'm the same. If I have a deadline to work towards, it helps. Uh, sometimes I see them for myself, and sometimes there are publication deadlines. So, yeah, both. Deadline. <laughs> Hi, Kyle and KM. I've always taken a long time to finish my projects, in part because I experienced dry spells of weeks or months on end. This hadn't been much of a problem in the past because my work usually sat in file folders on my hard drive where no one could see it. I was off the radar, and the only thing I had to prove was that I could finish a project sooner or later. Things changed after my first book saw print. It's now one of Fur Planet's top sellers. Congratulations. But at just shy of 53,000 words, I feel ashamed that it took nearly two and a half years from the first paragraph to the last revision. I got lucky this time. I already have another longer book finished that should be ready by next year's Anthrocon, but I don't know if I can manage a consistent rate of one book a year, especially considering this next book took about six and a half years to finalize. Should I be focusing on ways to speed up the process, or should I just chalk it up to good things take time and hope that my readers understand? Thanks, Three Tales. First of all, don't worry about trying to bang out uh, one book a year consistently. That's just a freakish Kyle thing that no normal human being should be able to hold themselves to. <laughs> yeah. Um, don't try that. Yeah, don't do that. You're not... <laughs> oh, wow, that's, that was going to sound either really mean to everyone else or really, like, ego-boosting to you. Uh, no, the thing is, I mean, the books 
no, you, you need deadlines, but also the book's got to be written at its own pace. And if your pace includes weeks or months of draft spells or weeks or months where you have to work on other things rather than yeah. working on that book, then that's the pace you've got to write it at. And if you hurry it, it's just not going to be as good. Yeah, and just so you know, I've been working on Summerhill for a full year now. That's nowhere close to being done, and that was only like 65,000 words. Uh, I'm sure that the that was final 40,000 when you started. What? <laughs> that was only 40,000 when you started. Yeah, well. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> That's why I gave you a fun letter to read next. Okay. All right, next letter starting now. Kobin, Kobun mean means me. Kobun being the Yakuza term for foster child or minion, and conveniently enough, also refers to a form of literature from the Nara and Heian periods. Mean means me is a variety of cicada whose call heralds the beginning of summer. So did I guess right? No, you did not. Somebody actually already guessed the K right. It is uh, Keagu, which is the Tsugaruben word for friend. And uh, yeah, the animal is uh, way off, and nobody has even come close to that in any of their guessing. Anyway, fan, by the way, thanks. Especially enjoyed hot and fresh, right to your door, guaranteed, and sake of argument. Oh, good, you like both of my super porny stories and not the deep, meaningful ones. And Kyle stopped the world. I've Which been is working amusing because then they like the story of mine that has no porn in it. I know, and Kyle stopped the world. <laughs> the I've super been... porny stories are my favorite, too. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you liked it when I was reading the uh, Pizza Fox story, didn't you? I was happy. Yeah, you mostly liked it because I had to voice a tough Call coyote. Me. coyote? I've been, coyote yes. or no, no, he was. Coyote. Yeah. Yeah. I've been working my way through the podcast archives, and it's encouraging me to write more. Precision would require me to admit that I mean that I write at all, but who's always precise? Well, certainly not Oscar Wilde. Anyway, thanks for the writing resources, and keep up the good fight. I see you. Ah, oh, I get that now. Yeah. Now that I read it out loud. Mm -hmm. It's I-C-Y-E-W-E -E for those of you following along I at home. I see what you did there. <laughs> Hi there. There is a furry author right now who is publishing with a group that is on Rider Beware. Because of that, I thought I'd ask if you'd done a show on scammers in the publishing world. We have not. This person that I'm talking about has been notified, but she's under the impression that her novel is going to get movie rights picked up and that there will be 500,000 plus copies. I hate to do this and call it out on Unsheathed, but I've heard this song and dance before, and I don't like it when people get lied to. You know, I'm not sure that calling it out on Unsheathed is quite the stop the presses move that you might no. think it is. I'm blogging it right now. Literally dozens of people are going, oh no, right now. Uh, so what are your pins on this? How do you tell someone that they're being had? Signed, uh, that this is actually Graham Lyon. Okay. So, yeah, um, if you have evidence that this is basically like a scam thing, uh, then tell them. All right, point number it one. It sounds like he's already told them. Yeah. I mean, there's not much more you can do, really. Okay, but like, point the first here. Never pay to get your book published. That is not how it works. Publishers pay you to sell your book. You do not pay to get your book put out there. Also, um, never pay an agent to get a publisher to look at your book. Exactly. Because the same thing applies. Yes, the agent, agent get paid agents if they get sell paid your book. when they sell your book. Yeah. You do not pay agents. Uh, generally, any service, uh, you might pay to have your book proofread, but any services to do with publication that requires you to pay in money is probably not valid yeah and those there are there are watchdog websites as you apparently know that keep an eye out for these sort of things yeah he didn't include the url to writer beware yeah. but i think if you google it you'll find yeah, it google writer beware it's actually a pretty big site yeah uh and yeah the only way your book is going to sell half a million or more copies is if you're one of the writers that everyone in the world can name off the top of their head 
Uh, Stephen much. King, J.K. Yeah. Rowling, Daniel Steele, Dean Koontz, yeah. uh, James Dean Mishner, Patter- yeah, Patterson. Dean Patterson, right. yeah. Dan Brown. Dan Brown. Dan Brown. <sighs> we hate Dan Stephanie Brown. Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> Time. Dear KM and Kyle, during podcast number 56, the Rainforest one, uh, the two of you made a comment about incorporating autobiographical bits into your stories. I know it's generally suggested that people use I think it wasn't so much a comment, it's kind of an writing. embarrassed ramble on my and part. I fully agree with that. I'm wondering how common it is to go past personal experience and into full-on autobiographical, where it goes beyond writers and characters sharing personal tastes and right into characters sharing their writers' exact experiences, with a few names chained to protect the ostensibly innocent. When someone does cross that line, are the suggestions on how to make sure it's improving the story? How far is too far and is it easy to fall into a trap where you do do it so often that it no longer conveys the emotional impact that becomes a cliche for instance i could name two writers big ones at that whose work i enjoy but both of them have tendency towards author insertive characters and while it really drags the stories down it's painfully obvious i'm gonna guess one of the authors you're talking about is laurel k hamilton let me know if i'm right (laughs) or in the end is this simply one of those times when it's good to have other people look over your stuff uh dan brown would be another one i eagerly wait and answer and thank you for all the writing assistance you provided myself and other listeners of the podcast your loyal fan mythic fox hey mythic fox um you know the one thing that i'm gonna say i mean hunter s thompson wrote a pretty good book that was generally author yeah. experience characters um the one thing that i'm gonna say is that which we've talked about before is life true life rarely makes a good story yeah um pieces of life make a good story and it's certainly if you've got if you've lived a good story worth of life, as they say on the moth, um, put pieces of your life into your books, yeah. dress them up a bit, but don't be afraid to change them to serve the plot, yeah, and serve the book. As your question, when is it too much? If it starts to broach into uh, libel, then that's probably too much. Or if you're like you know making attacks or you know airing your dirty laundry in public, right? Time. Hello, writerly friends, or is that too forward? I left a comment on the Unsheathed FA account, but I actually wanted to write in and say it too. I want to edit. Seeing as how that is what I do, seeing as how that is what I want to do professionally, why not get in some practice here? I love helping people improve on their works and enjoyed doing so in the past. So do we. We do too. Usually I extend the offer to others, but if people came to me, I feel that would be awesome. I do actually have a question for you guys as well. Uh, I'm going to insert here. If you're interested in having, um, Tom, edit your work. He's new fur on so furry, and he is Naruto two two five on fur affinity. N a r u t o two two five. I have a question for you guys as well. I have an idea for a chapter in a story I hope to eventually write. The scene is basically a talent show, and the main focus I want to put is on a group of cellists. Here's my question: Since the works they would be playing are lyricless, how would one go about describing the scene? The pieces are real works, so they could be listened to while reading the scene, but I really don't like to randomly drop a URL into my story, or see them in any story for that matter. I've seen musical scenes done well, but they usually contain lyrics, so there's something to keep the music moving. Do you two have any suggestions for this rat? As always, thanks for the wonderful podcast. It always makes me smile. Us too. Keep up the amazing work, both with the podcast and in writing. Tom Newfer. Well, presumably, if you're writing the scene with the music, you know what the music sounds like. Uh, Come up with adjectives to describe it. Is it haunting? Is it soothing? Is it, you know, somber, sorrowful, joyful, upbeat, down-tempo? Look at at some music critiques or music descriptions of pieces that have actually been played. Like, look at some articles about concerts and the adjectives they use to describe the music. Yeah. And also... Read um, articles on composers and, like, how their music is described. And use article... Use... um, descriptors that help fit the scene that you want to um 
that you want to build and the emotion that you want to convey. Yeah. Um, figure out which aspect of the music informs the scene the best. Yeah, and you know what fits in with you know what you're trying to get the reader to feel. All right, and then the last email. Hey guys, for the last month I've been listening to your podcast at work and I've been enjoying it immensely. Thank you very much for the time you put into it. In regards to concluding a story, how much thought do you put into it? I know you've talked before about how a story is as long is, is as long as it needs to be, and I agree completely with that. I know you've also talked about a good and bad outcomes for the main character, but I'm thinking of endings in a more general sense. When reading a story, I will try to guess the ending. Occasionally, due to the way the author has developed the characters or plot, I will f- it will feel like a lot ending is impossible. Sometimes the author will surprise the reader with a perfect unexpected conclusion, David Mitchell, but oftentimes this isn't the case. In essence, it seems like the author wrote themselves into a corner and, in the process of trying to get out of it, created a lame ending, Neil Stevenson. So my question for the two of you, or third if there's a guest, hey, Lovejoy, is have you ever found yourself in a situation where you could come up with an ending, but one which you weren't satisfied with? Do you have some techniques that allow you to avoid this type of pitfall? I'm curious to hear your thoughts, and I apologize for the moderate wall of text. Keep writing Mayjuzy writer wolf. He uh, appends to say that he is indeed a wolf, but he just wanted to get you in trouble with Lovejoy. Yep, I'll explain um, later. My my tech, I, I'm, I will say that Lovejoy did not see that ending coming. No, <laughs> um, that was very entertaining here. Here in the I noticed when you put that email bucket. last, I'm like oh, you did that on purpose. Well, it was about endings. There you go, endings. Boom. Um, yeah, my I, I've come up with an ending that I wasn't quite satisfied with, and my technique to avoid that pitfall is beta readers. Yeah, um, I come up with reading the endings that I have liked, and that my readers will like. That's bullshit, and I I can explain it all I want. But if they've already made up their mind that they don't like it, then my opinion is, is like, well, you're the writer, which means your opinion is pretty much irrelevant here, as the old saying goes. Exactly. Um, yeah, like the my place in your life story arc, where it basically ends and you don't figure out what the thing is. Yeah. Yeah, I say have someone else read it or take some time yeah. away from the story. Also, blowjobs. Also. <laughs> That's those time. Are, those are those are happy endings. Wow, we're very excited. We're very excited here in the here yeah. in the Unsheathed Studio. I'm exhausted. I was expecting this to be fun, and it was like twice as fun as I even expected it to be. This was awesome. <laughs> it was. This was very cool. We need to be derelict in our duty for like half a year again sometime. Oh, I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to do another lightning round, mostly because we've now cleared out 21 emails from 21 different listeners, and. Um, so people are going to be like, oh, they're Q short again. And uh, they're going to send us in more. So uh, keep them coming. Well, like, I, I actually almost feel kind of like panting after that. I know. Like I've really like, it's a good shot show my that, proverbial load into the microphone. It's a, it's a good show that leaves us panting, giggling, and yeah, a little bit dizzy. And potentially pantsless. Well, except we're that all the time. Yeah. Um, well... I, I believe that we did it. 21 questions in under 42 minutes. In a we row. we came up short in a few of them. <laughs> yeah, in a row. <laughs> Next time we'll do 37. I still need to show you that snippet from that story. <laughs> yes. And we'll do that after. Um, one minute outro. Follow us on FA as Unsheathed. Write to us as unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter and LiveJournal as Kyle Gold or on F.A. as Kyle. And I'm on all three of those as Kame Hirasaki. And visit Lovejoy Weasel's website, Weasel Wordsmith, where he does much more than simply time a couple of uh, sort of talkative old writers. Old people. Old oh, people. Yeah. Talkative Sorry. writers and 
getting questions and listening to him, his voice being <laughs> performed. And I remember, <laughs> Kyle is imaginarily younger than I imaginarily am. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm actually older than both of you, so. Right. And Kit is ageless. Oh, like the childlike empress. Yes. Except he's cuter. But does he ask you to say his name? Uh, he asked me to. <laughs> he asked me to yell it. <laughs> Kit Silver does he doesn't not actually quite ask so much as. Uh, well, that's all the time we have for tonight. Thank you all, and uh, thank everyone who was here in the studio, everyone who wrote in, and uh, keep writing. <laughs>